So if you're just joining with us, we are actually studying the book of Job for the actually season of Lent, right? This will be our last Sunday in the season of Lent, and we've really been exploring it, asking the question, how should we talk to God in difficulty? How should we actually relate to him when things are going challenging or in a tough space? Uh, And this isn't quite related to the sermon, but today I want to let you all know something that's a little bit challenging for me, okay? We may be on borrowed time with the beard. I want to to kind (laughs) of... Let's some of you know this, okay? Because Chris is now back full-time. And we're at a little bit of an impasse. So I think the right way to deal with this, uh, we don't vote on anything, really, um, as a church. But I think we should do a church vote based on whether, you know, that's strong marriage advice, I think, really, for how we should deal with things. Um, if you're just joining with us, uh, my wife has been living in Kitchener-Waterloo. She is back because of her schooling. And, um, and the deal kind of was, it was while she was gone in Kitchener-Waterloo, I would uh, be growing a beard for the first time ever. Uh, but she's back now full-time, which we we're so excited about. So it might be on borrowed time for all of you who are on Team Beard along with me, okay? Uh, so with that, there's no way to segue into the book of Job, but that's what we're going to do, okay? <laughs> book of Job, book of Job. Uh, we really have been encouraging to just study this book because this book is incredible. This book is amazing. This book is full of all of this mysterious and challenging realities that what the book of Job is really about. Here's kind of the big setup if you've missed it over the past few weeks, that the book of Job is about how do you speak to God in moments of challenge and difficulty? Because this is just true. This is true for all of us. Moments of challenge and difficulty will find you. Whether you want them or not, they will find you. The point is, is how should we be responding in the midst of those times? Because this is true, and this is what I shared with you at the beginning of this series, that how we respond in the midst of challenge will actually determine whether we are able to hold on to our faith or we might lose it. That's really what ends up happening in moments of trial and difficulty. They become the testing grounds for our faith. And I think what is absolutely key is that in those moments of challenge and difficulty, for us to actually learn how we might speak and relate to God. If we can put it this way, um, that we need to learn how we should speak to a holy God in holy ways when unholy things happen to us. That's what we've been exploring through the book of Job. And so today we're going to kind of wrap all of this together. I'm going to answer for you at least my perspective on how I think the right way to talk to God is in the midst of disaster, calamity, and struggle. We've seen all these different ways that Job speaks to him, right? With complaint and accusation. There's also praise. There's also blessing. There's also, though, some really strong words that he says. So we're going to wrap all of this up today, trying to look through three different sections here today. So if you have your Bibles, uh, open them up. Uh, today's going to be a little bit nerdy. Well, a lot of Sundays are quite nerdy with me. That's kind of my vibe, if you want to use that word. And I hate that word, so I'm upset I used it. Um, so today we're going to be taking a look at three different sections, okay? Uh, God's second speech in chapters uh, 40 to 41, Job's response in chapters 42, and then the epilogue also in chapter 42. So if you have a Bible, it's helpful to follow along. It'll all come up on the screen, but there's a lot we're going to try to work through today. So here's kind of what happened so far in the book of Job. Last week we saw how Job speaks like almost ferociously to God, like really strongly, Right? And then what he says, actually, as soon as God shows up, God shows up, and he gives him like this whirlwind, like tour of creation, starts talking about all these different animals, and really helps Job to realize that the world is far more complex than Job ever understood. The world's far more complex than Job ever understood. So what Job does is he does this. He says, all right, God, I'm not going to say anything else. I'm not going to say anything else. He takes a step back. He literally says, I'm going to cover my mouth with my hand from now on. Here's what's interesting, okay? Here's what's interesting. God does not want our silence with him. 
God doesn't want our silence with him. He actually wants all the stuff that's within us. He wants us to talk to him, even if they're impious words. Because follow with me, as soon as Job backs off and says, I'm not saying anything else, do you know what God's response is? God's response isn't, oh great, you finally learned your place. That's not what he says. God speaks again, actually, to try to provoke Job, to try to challenge him, to actually invite him to speak. And that's what I want to take a look at here today. I want to take a look at God's second speech. Because as soon as Job says, I'm not speaking anymore, God's like, okay, let's get back into this. And what God's going to explore, actually, in such a, in some ways, a strange speech. Remember, like, Job has gone through the absolute worst. He's complained to God and accused him of all sorts of hurt. And then God, in his second speech, is going to talk about two mythic animals called behemoth and leviathan. I don't think this is at all what Job was expecting, and you might not be expecting it, but we're going to try to unpack it here together. Okay, so here's what happens in Job 40 and 41. Uh, God starts to actually compare Job to these, uh, to these animals. And we can tell right from the beginning uh, that actually God wants Job to respond to him. So this is how his second speech starts. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. As soon as he said, I'm not speaking anymore, God says this. Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you, Job, and you must answer them. That God is actually interested in Job's response. And then he goes on to actually describe these two animals, which might seem unrelated, but I'm going to help us to try to tie it together. He begins by describing behemoth, actually. Uh, he says, take a look at behemoth, which I made just as I made you. That's a clue that he's going to be comparing, actually, Job to these two animals. Uh, God goes on and says, it eats grass like an ox. See its powerful loins and the muscles of its belly. Its tail is as strong as cedar. The sinews of its thighs are knit tightly together. Its bones are tubes of bronze. Its limbs are bars of iron. It is a prime example of God's handiwork. Only its creator can threaten it. Then secondly, we're introduced to the Leviathan in chapter 41. It's all one speech by God. And then God says this in chapter 41, verse 1. Can you catch Leviathan with a hook or put a noose around its jaw? Can you tie it with a rope through the nose or pierce its jaw with a spike? He goes on to describe it in verse 18. He says this, when Leviathan sneezes, when Leviathan sneezes, what a funny phrase. When Leviathan sneezes, it flashes light. Its eyes are like the red of dawn. Lightning leaps from its mouth. Flames of fire flash out. Smoke streams from its nostrils like a steam from a pot heated over burning rushes. And I think from these two kind of descriptions of these two animals, what we can kind of agree to is this, is that these are not normal animals, amen? They are not, right? Just like pay attention to how they're described. They're not normal animals. Behemoth is described as uh, strong as a tree. Its bones are iron. Actually, in one verse, God describes behemoth as a being that is so big it can swallow the entire Jordan River, okay? That is not a normal animal, actually, right? Or Leviathan is even more kind of extreme, right? God talks about lightning from its mouth, it breathing fire, smoke from its nostrils. That really the best way to kind of put these beasts is in the term of either like chaos monsters or like epic mythic beasts, and what God is going to do is really compare Job to these two different animals. And what is clear with these two different animals or beasts is that they are strong, they are ferocious, they are almost like savage, that they are unable to be tamed by anyone else. They are unable to be tamed by anyone else. It's really clear from God's speech that you can't kind of control behemoth or leviathan. We read verses like this. 
Or God says, no one can catch a behemoth off guard or put a ring in its nose or lead it away. And then we have these rhetorical questions about Leviathan where God says, can you catch Leviathan with a hook or put a noose around its jaw? That what is clear from the text, actually, is that no one is able to actually tame Leviathan or behemoth but one single person. And that person is God, actually. That God is able to handle the strength and the ferocity and the amazing force of these two mythic animals. That comes through incredibly clear in God's speech. Where we read verses like this, Behemoth is a prime example of God's handiwork. Only its creator can threaten it. That God can control this uncontrollable animal. Or Leviathan, we read this. And since no one dares to disturb Leviathan, who can then stand up to me? The idea is that God can actually stand up to Leviathan and Behemoth. And this is important for us to understand, that these unapproachable fierce animals are not too much for God to deal with. That God can handle their strength and their ferocity, implicitly meaning then, if God is going to compare these two animals to Job, if God can handle the strength and the ferocity of behemoth and Leviathan, is God able to handle anything that Job might say or throw at God? Obviously, yes, right? That he can. This is the comparison that's going on. It is really clear from the text, actually, if you dive into it, that God is comparing Job to behemoth and Leviathan, almost inviting Job to be like them. Right? We read of this in the very first verse. Take a look at Behemoth, which I made just as I made you. There's this comparison that's going on. We also see this comparison in verse 23 where we read this. Behemoth is not disturbed by the raging river, nor concerned when the swelling Jordan rushes around it. Now, that translation is okay, but it's missing some things. Sometimes what ends up happening in translation, this is just obvious if you don't know it. Hebrew and English are very different languages. Okay, they just, they just are. So here what translators have done is they've translated it okay, but they've smoothed over some things. This is a more literal translation from the CEV. Verse 23, read this. If the river surges, behemoth doesn't hurry. He is confident even though the entire Jordan gushes into his mouth. Now here, this is actually an allusion to Job. We just don't often pick up on it. Because in Job 6, do you want to know how Job is described? as a man who is standing before the verbal torrents of his friends, needing to withstand all the pressure of this water. And then here we have behemoth described in the exact same way. That God, through a number of both allusions and direct comparisons, is comparing Job to behemoth and Leviathan. Listen to how Leviathan is described. This is, like, it's obvious once you think about it. God says this, Leviathan has an irrepressible tongue. Someone who refuses to say words of comfort and mercy, quiet, nice words. Who else does that maybe sound like in the book of Job? Job, right? It does. That there's this comparison that's going on. And here's why this matters. Because Job is somebody who's been speaking almost like Leviathan, with like fire in his words, like with lightning coming out of his mouth, like speaking to this whirlwind, right? And here's what God is seeking to do. God is seeking to say to Job, Job, be like Leviathan and Behemoth. Be like Leviathan and Behemoth. Because he actually wants Job to respond to him. When Job takes a step back and says, I'm saying nothing else, this is actually a problem. Because this is just true, okay? And I want us to get this today. God wants us to speak to him no matter what it is we might be saying. He actually wants all of us. 
He doesn't want us to withhold ourselves from him. That if there's something going on within us, God wants us to share that with him. And so God compares Job to behemoth and Leviathan. And he says kind of almost like, gird up your loins, Job, like it's time to talk. That's what he wants. So let's see how Job responds to this almost provocation of God. This is now Job's response. We read this, the very next verse, after God's speech. Then Job replied to the Lord. Then Job replied to the Lord. Remember, he has promised. He says, I will say nothing else. But now after that speech of God, the second one, he's like, okay, I'm going to test some things. I'm going to say some things. I'm going to respond a little bit. And what Job does first is he responds to God's first speech that we explored last week. Um, where he says this, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. It says this in verse 3, and this is chapter uh, 42. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? That's a direct quote from God's first speech that we looked at last week. And Job kind of responds. He says, it is I. He says, I was talking about things I knew nothing about. How many of you have ever had that experience with God before? Like, you start to tell him exactly how you think things should go, and he maybe responds, and all of a sudden you're like, yeah, no, I didn't quite see it that way, right? That's what's going on. He says, you know what, God, after you showed up and spoke to me from the whirlwind, he says, I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. Job says, really, that experience has changed me, God. That's what he begins with. And so he says, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? He says, it is I. I spoke about things far too wonderful for me. And then next... Next, Job is going to respond, actually, to God's second speech. And here, we have our work cut out for us, because the Hebrew is particularly difficult. So we're going to get a little bit nerdy, as I said. We're going to kind of drive into this, um, and we're going to try to work through what's actually going on. So Job says this, and this is how the NLT translates it. Uh, Job responds with, you said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. But this isn't a particularly great translation. And it's not because translators are bad at what they do. As I said, it's because English and Hebrew are really tough. And so what the translators are doing here is they're trying to make the second part of this verse clear, and in doing that, they mess up the first part, okay? So when we read this, where it says, I have some questions for you, and you must answer them, that is a direct quote from God's second speech. So to make that clear, the translators insert the words, you said, so that we get that. Except the words you said are not there in Hebrew whatsoever. Instead, what Job literally says in Hebrew is he says this to God, listen and I will speak. Listen and I will speak. Or in Richard Middleton's translation, which is an excellent translation, he says this, hear and I will speak. That what Job is doing is he is saying, I know you want me to talk, God. I am ready to now respond to you. So he actually says, God, I'm ready to respond to you. And then he goes on, and this is what he says. He says, I have only heard about you before, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. Job's saying that my perspective has changed. Things have changed. Even though my life is horrible and I'm in dust and ashes, my encounter with you, my encounter with you has changed how I see things. And then Job kind of summarizes how everything has changed. This is like his big kind of statement. And he says this. He says, and I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Now here, we again have some work cut out for us, because I don't think this is a helpful translation. I'm going to explain why. The NLT here where it says, I take back everything I said, 
It makes it seem like Job regrets every single thing that has gone on in the book of Job up until this point. I actually don't think that's what's happening. And actually, the Hebrew just isn't that clear. Here's one of the hints for where you might know if the Hebrew of something is really tough, is when you have different translations radically translating it differently. Okay, that's a clue for us that just the Hebrew is really tough and hard and elusive and complex. So I'm going to read to you five different translations that are modern translations, okay? And just notice how varied and different they are, okay? Just notice how varied and different they are. So the NLT says, I take back everything I said, okay? Do you want to know what the NIV says? It says this, therefore, I despise myself. <laughs> kind of different, correct? Like a little bit different. It's, it's actually going to get... We're going to have even more range than this. The NIV says, therefore, I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. The KGV says, wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. The NASB goes a little bit less and says, therefore, I retract. Therefore, I retract. I don't despise myself or take back everything. I retract. And I repent sitting on dust and ashes. Okay? All right. All right, uh, LSV says this, therefore I loathe it, and I have sighed on dust and ashes. Okay, last one I'll give to you, okay, CEV. Then uh, Job says, therefore I relent and find comfort or consolation on dust and ashes. Okay, you don't need to be a Hebrew scholar to realize this is kind of a hard verse to translate, right? Because we have everything literally from hating myself, despising myself, retracting, relenting, repenting, sighing, sitting, or consoling. Very different. And here's a heads up. The Hebrew does mean all of those. That's the problem. So translators are having to pick. So I'm going to give you a heads up for how I think it should be translated, okay? We're going to do Andrew's like nerdy little moment. There are two verbs in this, in this verse, okay? There are two verbs. There's one verb that can be translated as take back, despise, abhor, retract, loathe, relent, all appropriate translations. There's another verb that is translated as repent, sitting, sighing, or comforting. Again, the Hebrew does mean all of those. So the first verb, as I said, can be translated as take back, despise, or, or retract. This is why the NIV uh, puts it this way. It says, therefore, I despise myself. But I think this is a bad translation. Because in Hebrew, there is no object in this verse. And unless you're like a super grammar nerd, what that basically means is that when they say, I despise myself, they are inserting that word myself. It isn't there in Hebrew. So I think a better, more straightforward way is to just take it more literally, like the NASB does and the CEV does, where we would simply say, where Job says, I retract or I relent, or I take back some stuff. And this is obviously what it means because Job has just experienced God and realized, hey, I didn't get everything. So I'm going to take back some of what I said. I don't think, though, Job is really taking back everything that he said because some of the things he has said to God are absolutely unquestionably true. We know that from studying this book. So I think he's just being pretty honest. and He's saying to God, okay, I, I retract some things. I relent on some things. Second part of the second verb. Second verb is really the verb of repenting, comforting, sighing, sitting, or consoling. And the Hebrew, as I said, does mean all of those. Um, this is why the CEB translates it as, therefore I relent and find comfort on dust and ashes. Or the NIV says, repent. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. But to cut to the chase, uh, so we're not just doing Hebrew grammar all Sunday, although that's a pretty good Sunday, really. <laughs> like, I know that's why you came. That's why, that's why I came. So... Um, 
But to cut to the chase, here's what it means for my money, okay? For my money, the word does not mean repent in this context. It means comfort. And the reason for that is because that's how this word has been used for the entire book of Job up to this point. So to put it all together, here is, I think, the best translation. The CEV does a great job saying, therefore, I relent and find comfort on dust and ashes. Or Richard Middleton's translation is, again, also fantastic, where he says, therefore, I retract and am comforted about dust and ashes. To put it all together, here's what I think Job is saying, so we can kind of understand it and move it one step forward, okay? What Job is saying is, God, after now encountering you, I'm taking some things back, and I'm actually comforted, even in the midst of my dust and ashes, even in the midst of my suffering, even in the midst of the fragility and hurt and everything I'm experiencing, I am comforted. Why? Because God is with him, because God is speaking to him, because he has experienced God. I think that's the words of Job, that when God says, what's your response? Job's response is, I take some things back, and I'm so grateful that you have spoken to me, even in the midst of my hurt and my pain. That's what's going on here. And then we turn towards the epilogue, and where things kind of end concluding, and God then speaks again. So I'll just read to you the last little bit. And after the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends. Not quite what you want God to say to you, okay? <laughs> Remember, these are the people who have been defending God the whole time. Right now, God shows up, and he's actually like, you guys are so wrong. So wrong that I'm actually angry with you. He says this, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant, what does the text say? Job has. Job is the one who's spoken accurately. Job, in all of his anger and all of his ferocity, right, like Leviathan and Behemoth, and all of his accusation and complaint, who has spoken accurately? Job. Job has. Not the friends who are defending God, not the friends who are trying to actually make accusations on God's behalf. Job has spoken faithfully. So God says this, so take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer on your behalf. <laughs> Whoa. God's so angry. They're like, he's like, if you pray, it's not enough. But if you get Job to pray, then you might have a chance. Right? That's what's going on. That's how far offside those guys were, which should make us, which should make us really hesitant to speak on God's behalf and especially to ever explain away somebody else's suffering and grief. Let me say that again. It should make us incredibly, incredibly hesitant to speak away somebody else's suffering and grief. So then we read this, um, and I will not treat you as you deserve, for you have not spoken about me accurately as my servant Job has. That what God makes unquestionably clear is that Job is right. He's the faithful, he's the right one, he has spoken accurately. But in some ways, this kind of like raises a question, doesn't it? Because some of what Job has accused God of actually isn't quite fair, right? He hasn't actually spoken fully every single thing correctly because God shows up and corrects him. So how is it that Job has spoken accurately and the friends haven't? What I want to suggest to you here is this, that I don't think God here is pointing out that Job's theology is fully correct, because in some ways it really isn't, right? That's why God had to correct it. What I think the difference between Job and the friends is, is this, that the friends talk about God, Job speaks to God. And that difference makes all the difference. I want to share with you a story that I think will help us to understand this point. 
Because Job really has all this kind of junk within him that he brings forward to God. He pours it all out. There's all this accusation and hurt and even some wrong things that he says, some impious things that he says. But this actually is helpful for the relationship. Let me say that again, okay? That sometimes pouring out all of the impious stuff we might have is actually helpful for the relationship. I'll give you an example. Uh, a few weeks ago, and I asked... Uh, my child, for permission to share this. A few weeks ago, one of our children was having one of those days where you don't really want them around you. If you're a parent, does anyone get what I'm talking about? It is like you could do nothing correct for this child. No matter what is going on, they were like angry and grumpy. They were just like sullen. But they were doing like uh, the so annoying like silent treatment with you when they're like, nothing's wrong. And they're just like, whatever. And you're trying to, like, do, I don't know, normal things with them, like have supper, and they're like, I'm not doing that. And you're like, this, this is just eating. You can probably join us for this. And this child was then, like, hiding up in their room. So I did what I thought was, like, an okay parenting thing. I was like, I'll let this go on for a little bit. Maybe they need space, whatever else. I often need space. I'm an introvert. You probably shouldn't push in sometimes. So I thought, I'll just give them space. But after a while, I was like, this needs to be addressed with. So I go up into the bedroom, and I was like, hey, listen, we need to work out whatever's going on here. And at first, they were all like silent and sullen, didn't want to say anything. And then, finally, all of a sudden, they like opened up, and it was like a torrent of words came out. Like, you know how Job says it's like the River Jordan rushing? That's kind of what it was. It was like all of these emotions and stuff that were just all there, it all came pouring out. A lot of what they said, actually, was actually quite hurtful. It was actually quite accusing in a lot of ways. And... We all know this. I'm not a perfect parent, okay? <laughs> not even close to that. But what they also had shared and said to me, some of it was just objectively, like, flat out wrong, okay? Like, they were like, you never spend time with me. Like, you never spend enough time with me, just personal time with me. The irony was, like, literally the night before, I'd taken them out, just me and them, and then we stayed up super late watching a movie, <laughs> which is why I thought they were probably acting so grumpy the next day, right? Like, what they had said was objectively false. Let me ask you this now. You can see where this is going. As a parent, do you think, do you think, even though I was hurt, even though they said some things that were actually impious and wrong and not true, do you think I was glad that they were talking or I wish they would have remained silent? Right? Glad they were talking to me. Glad they're talking to me, because then you know what we could do? We could actually work something out, that you can't work out something that you are unwilling to name, actually. And you want to know what happened after we sat and worked that all out? They said to me, you know what, Dad? I think I need to take back some of that stuff. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you probably do, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, you know, emotions, uh, yeah, all that stuff, right? Who, who's, who's that like? Job, right? Job gets it all out there. And then he actually says, I retract, I relent. There are some things I need to take back. What I want to be absolutely clear in is the only way that Job can actually take back anything is because he's first said it and then experienced God. So now his perspective has changed. That what I want us to understand, if you want me to answer and put all of this book into one like simple sentence, okay, or one kind of simple idea, how should we talk to God in the midst of calamity, challenge, and difficulty? Here's how I think we should talk with him. I think that we should share with him whatever it is we are feeling, thinking, carrying, or holding on to. I think that nothing should be held back from God. Because here's my theological position on all of this, okay? God is big enough to handle whatever you are going through. Amen? Amen. He is big enough to handle whatever you're going through. If he can handle Leviathan and Behemoth, he can handle your accusations. He can handle your complaints. He can handle your feelings and your emotions and your anger. What he can't handle is us taking a step back, 
and refusing to engage. Because this is just true. What kills relationships, follow with me, what kills relationships isn't saying the wrong thing, it's refusing to say anything at all. That's what kills relationships. So what's my main point this morning? Main point in all of this is, but I think it's the main point of Job too, is that God wants real talk with us and from us, even if it's impious, even if it's wrong, even if there are things we need to retract. He wants it so that he can listen and work through it with us. That as long as we are denying what we are feeling, as long as we are withholding what we are actually holding on to, our relationship will actually just have distance and distance and distance. Now, what I think this book is all about is that God wants actual real talk with us. This is why Job has spoken accurately, because he didn't hold anything back. There is nothing he did not express to God. This is why he was faithful, even in some of the wrong things that he accused God of. He was faithful because he brought it to God. And then he listened, and then he heard, and then he had a perspective change. He took some things back, too. That's all part of it. But none of that happens unless we are actually honest and open and real with God. So what can you say in the midst of calamity, challenge, and suffering with God? Anything you need to, amen? Anything you need to. Anything you need to so that you can actually work it through. So what does this mean for us here today? Well, today I have one question, and it's both a challenge. I have one question and a challenge. It's just simple. What do you need to say to God today? What do you need to say to God today? Maybe there's some praise. Job has that. Maybe there's some praise. Maybe there's some blessing. Maybe there's some gratitude. But maybe there's some anger too. Maybe there's some things you really haven't wanted to be that open with God with. Maybe there's some complaint, some accusation. Maybe there's some feelings that you need to share with him. What I want to challenge you is to think through what do you need to say to God? And then I want to invite you to actually name that to God. Because he is big enough to handle whatever it is you are going through. And I can tell you as a parent, when that child opened up to me, I wasn't mad I wasn't like upset. I was glad we could finally work it through. And that's what God will do with you. So I want to invite you. I want to invite you today to think through, what do you need to say to God today? Because as I said, okay, it isn't the wrong things that we say that kill our relationships. It's saying nothing at all. Because when we take a step back and refuse to speak, that's when distance continues to grow and to grow and to grow. And God wants you God wants you to be open with all that you're going through. Notice, he never censures Job, right, for all the junk that was in there. He doesn't. He actually says Job has spoken faithfully and rightly and accurately, which I think for us just means God wants real talk with us and from us, because this is obvious in the book if you just think it through. It's so obvious. The only reason that Job gets a response from God is because he was first open to him with what he was going through. That's the reason he encounters. That's the reason he has a perspective change. That's the reason everything changes and that he can then say, God, yeah, I take back some stuff and I'm comforted even in my dust and ashes because you are here with me. So what does this mean for us today? Well, I want to invite you to think through what do you need to say to God today? Maybe there's anger that's buried. Share it with God. Maybe there's injustice that you're feeling. Name it to God. Maybe there's something you're hiding. Today is Lent, right? Maybe there's something you need to confess. Right? That can also be there. And so to help us with this, what we're going to do in just a few moments, I'm going to invite the worship group forward in just a few moments, and they're just going to play one last song. And in this song, it's going to be quiet. There's going to be quotes from the book of Job that will come up on the screen. We want to give you time right here and right now to say whatever you need to say to God because God can handle it. He wants real talk with you. So we're going to end this sermon in this uh, kind of series and actually this service here today with just giving us time to talk with God 
Because God is listening. God wants to speak to you, but we also need to speak to him. So today I want to challenge you in the next few moments as we both sing and reflect on these words, we're going to invite you just to stay seated, to just spend some time talking, praying, and opening up to God with whatever you might have within you because God can handle it all. Let's pray. God, I ask, as we come into this moment, I pray, would you give us the courage to say the things that need to be said so that, God, we might work them through. I pray, God, if there are things to confess, we would confess. If there are things to praise, might we be praised. But if there is anger, if there is complaint, if there is weightiness, God, might we just name it for what it is. And then, God, I pray, would we have the courage, courage to hear from you, would you speak to us, not only in our minds, but also in our hearts? I pray would each of us be able to see and sense your presence here as we open ourselves to you. So God, I pray in this next moment, might we speak with you? Might we be like Job and say, here, I will speak. But then might we also say, I am listening as well to your spirit and what you would have for us. I pray this all in your name. Amen.